we have these ways that we are expected to behave, we expected to show up in the world. And it's those expectations that as we start to understand that it's everybody's conditioning and it's the water that we are swimming in. Welcome to Living to Be with your host, Raino Gevers, a podcast aimed to inspire you in becoming your authentic self. Life can be a topsy-turvy world of ups and downs as you deal with health, spiritual growth, and self-development issues. But from the day you were born, you are meant to become who you really are and to live your destiny. Amanda Kate is the author of Divine Messy Human a spiritual guide to prioritizing internal truth over external influence. She's also a practicing kinesiologist, mentor, archetypal life coach, mother, and much more. Amanda describes herself as a recovering people pleaser and self-flagellator, walking the path, straddling the divine and messy daily, always growing, developing, and learning new ways of being to hopefully one day leaving the earth a better place than she found it. So let's dig into it. What is uh, prioritizing internal truth over external influence? Uh, do you know, I think from the time we're born, we're taught to go outside ourselves for all of the answers. You know, if we've got a problem, we go to our parent or we go to the teacher or we go to the doctor or we go somewhere else. And we're never taught to really honor our feelings. You know, I remember falling over as a child and it's get up, there's no blood, you're fine. But that didn't take into account the embarrassment that I might have done something stupid or the fact that I felt that that was quite painful and that I wanted a little bit of comfort or whatever it was. And so oftentimes we have our feelings and our emotions brushed away or dismissed rather than honoring and acknowledging what's going on in our inside world. And I think that compounds over time. One, we're looking outside ourselves for all the answers. And especially these days with, you know, Dr. Google and social media and all the messages that are constantly bombarding us it's so easy and so loud to go outside of ourselves when we're quiet and when we take that time to go within we actually get a lot of our answers and that's what i I try and help people reconnect to because that was our old ancient innate wisdom and knowingness is that we know our body, we know our soul and we're inextricably linked. And that's the knowledge that we need to go to first. I'm not saying that we don't need that external help. Yeah, sometimes our body will go, go see a doctor. And that's really important to listen to. Other times it might be go for a walk on the beach or have a glass of water or how about you go have a nap (laughs) and those things are equally as important and all of those suppressed and trapped emotions end up manifesting in the physical world whether it be through disease or a lack of wellness or a lack of vitality or in some other form of incoherence and that's what I do as a kinesiologist is balance that incoherence in the body, those electrical signals that aren't flowing properly, but also it's about tapping you into that innate wisdom that you have so that you go there before you go external to yourself. This is a a real problem of our times. 
mm. with uh, this external world, uh, AI, social media, all that telling mm. us how to be, what to buy, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that disconnect from, from the spiritual, from the essence mm. of what we are as, as, as human individuals. Yeah. Uh, how how what where do you start uh, you you mentioned kinesiology but uh, mm. what do you tell teenagers who are having enormous problems uh, mm. in, in in finding themselves their individuality yeah. and and who they are oh do you know i mean look i've actually got i put one of the stories in my book about this teenage girl who i saw at a festival once i had literally 15 minutes with her and she had self-harm marks visible um on her body which i found obviously very distressing i'd only been in the job you know six months or something and or oh, maybe a bit longer it might have been closer to 18 months but I, it was the first time I'd seen something like that. And I had a 15 minute session with her and I just, I literally just prayed to God, the universe, infinite wisdom, whatever you want to call it. And I just went, just give me something, give me something that I can give her that may change this. Anyway, we did what we could in 15 minutes, but the, the piece of, I think that really stuck. There were two things that massively came through and they didn't just help her, of course, you know what it's like. It helps us as well when it comes through, there's always lessons for us. And when we are looking at other people, we put our life experiences, our behaviors, our perceptions, everything that we believe into that person and look back at ourselves as though they have exactly the same ideas and ideals as us. But when we look back at ourselves, it's often those worst things that we think about ourselves that we're putting into that person. Oh my God, that person thinks I'm stupid. That person thinks I'm ugly. That person thinks I'm dumb. That person thinks, you know, or that person's angry at me. Oh my God. And we start going into this massive bit of self-doubt but we are perceiving their perception of us through our perception of the world. How far are we from the truth in that moment? And you know what the other person is doing? Exactly the same thing as we're doing. <laughs> but on the other end, they're perceiving our perception of them through their perception of the world. And when you start to look at it like that, it's pretty mind-blowing and I have a great example of it. I was at home one night I had a long day at work my daughter was doing homework at the kitchen table and I was chopping up some vegetables for dinner and she looked up and she went oh mummy why are you so sad and now to put this into context my daughter is a fixer she didn't want anything to be wrong with me and so I all, all of a sudden not only am I going hang on I'm not sad if she hadn't checked in with me in that moment, she would have spent the whole evening trying to make things better for me. She would have gone and got a hairbrush and done my hair and given me a little massage and done all this, which I would have loved, by the way. However, <laughs> it wasn't quite the right way to accept it because she would have been trying to fix me. In that moment, I looked at her and I said, oh, darling, I was just off with the fairies. I wasn't even here. I was just cutting up the vegetables and in a daydream world because it's autopilot. And in that check-in, I could see her go visibly relax and go, oh, thank goodness, mum's okay. And knowing, seeing her reaction 
after that check-in one i thought the check-in was very wise because often we forget to do that with people that we're looking at we just work on the perception that we've got oh my god mum's sad okay what can i do to fix her let me get the hairbrush let me do this let me help her out let me and then she would have gone to bed exhausted and still worried about me but in that one question i was able to allay her fears she didn't have to then run around busting her butt to try and make me happier not that that was her job, by the way, but, you know, children do these things. I used to do it as well. And everyone was able to then just relax a bit more. And then we had a conversation about something else. So I did give that little bit of wisdom because I think it's really important, you know, how often do we look at people and they might just be thinking about something else, but you think about that thing that people talk about with resting bitch face and you look at it and you're going, oh my God, she's angry with me or she's maybe not. Maybe they're working out what they were going to cook for dinner. So that check-in's really, really important. And then the other bit was, I said to her, you are the only person you've got. If you go, you'd literally, there's nothing you need to learn to love yourself because you actually cannot love anybody else until you learn to love yourself and that's not said in a way to shame people i think often when people talk about this it does go into shaming you that you don't love yourself enough self-love is a practice yes you know i love myself but there are times i catch look in the mirror and go am i actually being self-loving because you know i might be letting my weight go or i might be letting this happen and then i get into a bit but i practice self-love i practice you know after christmas when we've had a bit of a blowout i then go okay yes at the time that was self-loving because i was having fun with family and friends and connecting and and now the most self-loving thing is to rein it in and to nourish my body in a different way with, you know, good food, good exercise, all of that. So we went through that and I gave her the exercise to practice where you look in the mirror and you actually say, I love you. And that was it. That was all I had time for. She went away and 12 months later, I was at the same festival and this girl came running up to me, gave me the biggest hug. I had to ask her mum if I could hug it back because it was one of those things I'm like, oh. but both of them obviously said yes. Um, and she said, I haven't harmed myself since our session. Yeah. And that for me showed just the power of those two little bits of reality check. And that the whole issue of self-worth, self-love mm. um, often has its roots in some type of childhood trauma, mm. especially in that uh, puberty phase. And yeah. I think uh, girls have far more of a problem here where yeah. um, the outside world is telling them so much on how to look, yeah. what, how, how, what, how, what weight to have and what mm -hmm. to dress and so forth. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in so many ways, you know, our, our men and our boys do as well, because, you know, the same way that we've got our narrow band of behavior that we're allowed to do this or, you know, <laughs> we're a good girl or a bad girl and but boys have a similar thing if you show anything but the this narrow range of emotions then you're either too emotional or you're too hard or you're you know we all have and and even if we're other genders we have these ways that we are expected to behave we expected to show up in the world and it's those expectations that as we start to understand that it's everybody's conditioning and it's the water that we are swimming in 
we can learn then, okay, I don't know what I don't know. So am I prepared to learn something different? And that's the way I work. I don't have any answers. And I say that I don't have any answers. You have answers within you that are right for you in this moment. But providing you keep asking the questions, you're going to keep getting the guidance to take the steps that you need to take. Because there are, I don't think there are too many clearly defined answers. Yes, no, right, wrong, black, white in this world. You yourself yeah. describe yourself as a recovering people person. Yeah. Uh, that has a lot to do with uh, self-worth. How do yeah. you how do you set a, a healthy boundary? I think understanding that um, people pleasing is me automatically putting myself in an inferior position to everybody else was one of the big things because we're not inferior or superior to anybody else. We all have things we can teach and teach each other and learn from each other. So by me putting everybody else on this upper platform, I am setting myself up for failure because I will never be able to please them. Because again, I am just perceiving their perception of what I think they want in this world and busting my butt to make it happen and exhausting myself in the process and not honoring myself in the process. Now what I, and I still fall into this habit because it is such a lifelong thing for me and I want to keep my loved ones happy. I want to cook them nutritious meals and all the rest of it. But when I'm doing it from an inferior place rather than an equal place, I am setting myself up for failure. And that's where we lead to exhaustion, to burnout, to resentment, to all of that sort of negative feeling. That's where it comes in is from that inequality. Yeah, we all want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be valued. Mm. We, we don't like creating a conflict. You, you no. come from a corporate world uh, and, yes. and, you, and you made that transition from, from the corporate world into a, a, a life coach and kinesiologist mm. let's go back to where, where where that started what what made you change your life like that well living in london um we we were at the time um you know i had to give up my career to look after the children because my ex-husband had a big high-powered career and to be honest without me he couldn't have done what he was doing he needed he was away a lot he traveled a lot we didn't have family close for me to get into my job in central London would have been an hour and a half commute because I had to drop my son at a nursery over the other side of the town we were living and it was just crazy and we couldn't maintain it. So I gave up my job and became a full-time mum. And as we then emigrated to Australia because my ex-husband needed to turn the lights off on a business that was shutting down. So we were in a very fortunate position to have a bit of a payout and go, if we don't do it now, we're not going to do it. And in that process with the kids were going to school, I was like, well, what am I going to do now that, you know, I'm a grown up? I felt a little bit like I was at the end of year 12 going, what do I do when I grow up? And I'd been looking for the natural therapy stuff because my health had started taking a slide and I'd found naturopathy and was finding that really useful in the nutrition and all of that aspect. But I ended up with chronic fatigue, which pushed me into more natural therapies, traditional Chinese medicine and chiropractic and all of these different things. And I ended up um, ringing a psychologist because I thought that I was broken and I needed to be fixed to be able to save my marriage. Um, 
so I went to this psychologist and they couldn't get me in for another four weeks and they couldn't get me into her mindfulness course for six weeks. And she said, just the receptionist said, you sound like you're under a bit of stress. Who's got your back? And I just burst into tears and went, no one. I'm holding up a house of cards and I'm crumbling and it's all coming crashing down. And she booked, she said, look, we've got a kinesiologist on staff. Do you fancy trying it? And I went, I'm willing to try anything right now because my life's falling apart. And I went to see her and that session just changed my life. It just, in that first session, my kinesiologist said, you have no idea how emotionally abused you are, do you? And a lot of cogs fell into place. It took me a long time to see my biggest emotional abuser. It took me another four months to realize that he was in my bed and it took me another four months then to leave the marriage. But within six months to the day of me having that kinesiology session, I was sitting in the classroom for my first session to learn how to become a kinesiologist. So often I hear these stories also on this show where uh, people find themselves in this flat on the ground moment, I call it, that this this moment of brokenness that then elevates us to higher Mm -hmm. consciousness and awakens that 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 window to the soul. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I wish that had been the bottom. Um, Obviously, divorce is not for the faint hearted. But as I said, my psychologist said that to me and I said to her, you know, what, what other choice do I have right now? And she said, I agree with you, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say it's not for the faint hearted. And so I did. I bounced along rock bottom and went, oh, I'm at rock bottom. I've got to be able to find my way out now. And then I'd find another hole and fall on down it. And that was kind of the next two years, really. But also while I was doing that, I was learning so much about myself, about all of the trapped emotions, about all of the trauma patterning. And for me, because a lot of it was my conditioned normal, it was when I was, say, on the table in the front of the class as the demo, and I'd look at the class when I gave my answers and people would be sitting there going, and they'd actually have to say, that's not normal and this is why. And I'd be going, ah, huh, okay. (laughs) It was was just completely paradigm-shaking. Everything that I knew then got put up for question because I went, what do I actually know in this? It was mind-blowing every week. You, you describe yourself as an archetypal life coach. Tell us more about that. What, what is yes. an archetypal life coach? So these archetypes are um, based on the first 22 arcana in the tarot. And the information has been put together by this incredible woman over here called Pip McKay from Evolve Now Life Coaching. And the reason I was really drawn to it is I loved the Jungian archetypes, but there was just something kind of missing and these ones are based on the really ancient priestesship um, teachings really ancient wisdom but the archetype if you think about it is the pinnacle the top that top point of the arch so it's like if you get all of them in alignment you are enlightened now clearly we're human so i don't think in this condition we're ever going to have all 22 in that exact perfect light but it helps you to understand 22 of the laws of the universe, not just the law of attraction, for example. It helps you to understand where you're at in your different cycles because 
they work very much with that hero's journey. And we're going through hero's journeys in different stages in different parts of our life at the same time. So it helps you to understand where you are in that journey with that archetypal picture. And for me, that helps me understand, you know, say when we're in the shadow and we're overexpressing an archetype, it helps me to understand what I need to do to rein it in or when I'm not expressing it at all, when it's, you know, in the void, it's not there. Or when I am perhaps using it, but maybe there's other traits I could bring in to help me supercharge it a little bit more and understand then how I can bring my work into the world with a little bit more ease and flow because I'm bringing in this archetypal picture. Do you work with tarot cards, uh, with with dreams, or how do you find that archetype oh. for a particular individual? <laughs> All the different ways. Um, and I think this is this is what I love about having so many skill sets because having done the archetypal life coaching, having done not just my diploma of kinesiology, but my advanced international diploma. So I did about six years worth of study in four years for my kinesiology. Um, so I have this incredible toolkit, as well as I did Reiki and uh, three modules of TBM and all sorts of different things as well. Because once I realized that I loved this stuff, I realized I didn't know it and I wanted to know more. And the more I learn, the more I know I don't know. <laughs> so therefore, the more I want to learn. But I bring in things from all sorts of different parts of my experience. Also, other courses I've done. Or So there's this way of, um, I guess, accessing through the person's subconscious, which I do through manual muscle testing, which is the kinesiology part. Um, I, I use muscle tone to be able to get the person's subconscious to tell me which bit they want me to work on with them. And then the client has the visual and the muscular feeling of going, yes, that's what she needs to work on, rather than me just going, we need to work on this and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and us working on which does work um but also and my intuition tends to tell me first anyway but i like that manual muscle testing because then the client has their bit of proof you know this is what's happening and when their muscle then holds strong after we've done whatever we've done again their body is going oh okay now we can move on to the next thing amazing that that the body is totally authentic, uh, it, yeah. telling us very early if something is out yeah. of sync. And and look, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You know, even when I use my marriage as an example, I remember getting back after getting engaged, and I had some red flag moments even when through our engagement, shortly after we got married, after we had the children, all the way through our relationship, there were these constant red flag moments that I had seen. But because I didn't trust myself, I didn't act on them. I didn't have the courage to act on them either. And so there was this little bit of, um, I guess, the self-doubt and that self-flagellation aspect of constantly beating myself up that it was my fault because I was being told it was my fault, that I then wasn't able to trust it and act on it. And those two are the keys because I always heard my intuition. I'd get that inkling, this is not right. But then I'd go into the thought processes because I could overthink my, you know, my body. <laughs> so I was able to go into the thought process just to question that can't be right, that can't be right, that can't be right. 
and talk myself into staying. Eckhart Tolle once said something really wonderful. He said, uh, we are being thought and we hardly ever think ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I thought, you know, same story. We don't listen to the inner thought, the, the, the inner soul language, the body language. Mm. But where do you start? How do you teach people to be more intuitive uh, in, in listening to what their, their body is telling them? I get them to start by being. So when you have your cup of coffee or whatever it is to stop and smell it and taste it and enjoy it and actually be with it, while you're drinking it rather than putting it in a takeaway cup, bracing around, getting everyone to the car to school, whatever it is that you're doing, rushing off to work, actually sit with it. That five minutes that you're sitting with your coffee is really not going to impact your day too much if you sit down in terms of it's going to stop me from getting all this stuff done. But what it will do is actually give you some energy then to be able to continue your day and probably get more done because you're taking that five minute break for yourself. And people think that meditation is this sitting on your mat, going on for half an hour, an hour, whatever it is. You can meditate on a coffee by being fully present with it or tea or whatever your drink of choice is, but by smelling it, tasting it. And if you can drop little bits like that in through the day where you are slowing down, you know, with your food, you are tasting it, you're enjoying it. Things like that connect you in more clearly to your body because you're you're just with your body you're not with all of the things that are happening outside of you and if we can do that then that inner voice gets a bit louder i think the biggest problem is we get a bit some big questions come into us and we believe our lies rather than our truth so if we get a little question like oh I don't think this job's right for me. We will go around and we'll survey monkey everyone to get them to hopefully hand us a resignation letter. By the way, I've, I've written this up for you and here's your next job. You've just got to sign the contract. It's kind of what we're hoping for. Just fix my problem, everyone. <laughs> but as soon as we get that question, we know what the answer is. We know that job isn't right for us. And we're not taking action because often we're afraid of scarcity, that there won't be another job, that we won't get another one as quickly, that we'll be financially put under stress or we may not get paid as much or whatever it is that's playing into our fear. And, but when we get those questions, I got the question very early on, even before I got married, should you be marrying this guy? Yeah, and your head kicks in and says, well. And my head kicks yeah, in. Yeah. But look at all the things that you're getting. And, you know, and then, oh, and you can't trust yourself and, you know, all of that stuff comes in. But when you, when I look at that, that was my body trying to say, now'd be a good time to exit. Instead, I waited until I was really unwell with chronic fatigue and my body was actually starting to break itself down. And then I went, I think I better listen now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, well, that was the path I needed to walk. So yes, you know. yes. And so often, <laughs> and I'm so we, grateful for it. <laughs> when we look at it in retrospect, I've had two uh, traumatic divorces and uh, uh, looking, looking at it in, in retrospective, mm -hmm. um, 
and and where I'm now, I'd say, well, learning experience, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in a much better place today than I was then. Uh, yes, but this is something we only see in retrospect, where yeah. life lessons come our way, and in that moment, of course, we say, "Why me again?" <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and clearly, there's lessons that we haven't learned that we still need to learn, and that's part of our human experience as well, and. I I really do look at those worst things that have happened to me and they are the bits that have given me the most magic, the most healing, the most learning and the most growth as much as it's been painful at the time. It's like going through that eye of the needle. What, what do you tell people coming to you asking, how do I live a life of purpose and meaning? For me, it's take action. Often, often we get really good with the vision boards and our manifestation, but it's all wishful thinking until we actually do something in this realm, in this 3D reality, moving towards what we want. And in tra retraining our reticular activating system as well. So that's the part of the brain that I guess, um, places importance on things. So rather than looking for examples of, you know, for me, how I was stupid and, you know, not good enough and not worthy and not lovable, I now look for the magic and the mystery and the wonder. And guess what I see more of now because I've trained my brain in that way. And so we work on being aware of that conditioning that wants to put us into that negative propensity for thought and move into ways that we can start to look for the beauty in life because then we start to see more of it and then we're looking for it so there we see more of it and we're training our brain the opposite way i think this is such an important message especially for uh, young people mm. caught in this uh, spiral of of negativity on social media uh, spending most of their time uh, on social media Mm. Uh, where a lot of these voices, external voices, are voices of negativity. Yeah, how, how do you get out of that? Oh, and look, I, I mean, we all struggle with it as well as adults. Um, you know, as soon as you download a new app because you think that that's the right one that you need to be on for your business and you're trying to learn the app, all of a sudden hours get sucked out of your life on it. So we're, we're no different. What I really work on doing every day I walk the beach, it's a two hour round trip from the time I leave my house, drive to the beach, um, do probably an hour and a half to an hour and three quarters of walking and then drive home. But that two hours is my non-negotiable every day. And sometimes I'll listen to podcasts or I might listen to audio books or something like that. And sometimes I walk it with sound healings. Other times I'll walk it with obviously just <laughs> nature, but that's my time to really just tune into my body and feel into the day, feel into what I'm struggling with, you know, get a lay of where my energy's at. And, and that's my non-negotiable because I need to reconnect to me. And if I get that, I'm a much better person. <laughs> yeah. do, do you have a, a, a ritual before you start your day? Or do you know, often, of, often that is that is the main ritual at the beginning of the day um, because I'm doing podcasts with people over the other side of the world. Sometimes my morning is literally roll out of bed, <laughs> try and make my eyes look less puffy because I've just woken up and get on camera for the uh, podcasts. 
<laughs> but then after that, I make sure that I've I've blocked out. So this morning, I don't finish recording till 9am. But then I've blocked out two hours out of my day so that I can go and have that downtime. And actually, today, I've booked out an extra hour so I can do some yoga afterwards. So I'll go and do my walk, get the dog exhausted, and then I'll come back and do some yoga. So there, if I can't do it first thing in the morning, it is scheduled for later in the day. Amanda, it's so so great talking to you. I think you, uh, you too. Some some really important information for everyone out there. And uh, how can we serve you? Uh, how can people connect with you? Uh, on w uh, amandakate.com.au and yeah, all my um, social links are there and everything like that. So that's just the easiest one to remember rather than reeling off all the other ones. Okay. <laughs> it's a nice, and, easy one. And we will, of course, post it um, at the yeah. bottom of our podcast so people can just uh, link up with you there. And thank you so much for the work you bring into the world too. We are so appreciative for you. So keep shining your light. We need you. You've been listening to Living to Be with Raino Gevers, a podcast aimed to inspire you in becoming your authentic self. Check out his website at RainoGevers.com for more information on his books, retreats, and mentoring program.